This episode was so much fun for me. I serendipitously connected with our co-host for today, and I was fortunate enough to join him on his podcast, and he was gracious enough to talk with me. He is someone whose mission is to make people laugh, but not just laugh, but laugh in the workplace. Maybe your eyebrows are raised at this point. What do you mean laugh at the workplace? He's had lots of different experiences in different industries and has the fortunate experience of working with professional sports teams and been a stand-up comic. And due to some experiences, which were the dominoes in his journey, which he will describe soon enough, he channeled all of that into this push, this initiative to get people to laugh, to smile in the workplace, to transform a little bit that work doesn't have to be this mundane heaviness that millions of us walk around with every day. He doesn't have a magic wand. What he does have is the ability to help people smile, not relying on him, but to help people realize that they could smile, they could laugh, and they could work happy. And if you work happy, then you have a higher quality of life, you have higher productivity, you have higher efficiency, and everything feeds off of that. So I invite you to join us as we talk with our wonderful co-host, laugh along with us. Hopefully you will get something out of it. As always, we appreciate the support of people who take a minute to rate, review, share. All those things help us get the word out and help us spread and hopefully help some more people. This is Mental Filter. Welcome back, everybody, to Mental Filter, where we have the opportunity to talk to lots of interesting people about interesting things all through the lens of mental health. So as you heard in the introduction, this is a topic that I think probably everybody who's ever worked a day in their life could relate to, and anyone who's ever laughed a day in their life could relate to, but sometimes doesn't put those two things together. And it was really serendipitous for me to connect with our co-host of the day, Greg, and he's going to introduce himself and we will jump right into today's topic. Greg, please let everyone know who you are. Hey everyone, my name is Greg Kettner. I am a speaker, coach, happiness coach, and a podcaster. And I work predominantly with professional sports teams in helping them transform their culture into a work happy culture so that they can generate more revenue, reduce turnover, and have a safe place to talk about mental health so that we're better together. That's amazing. So before we get into a lot of the details and and how we got here, I'm just curious when you introduce yourself, if you have to choose, how would you identify yourself more as? Comic, sports fan, speaker, trainer, if you have to pick. It would be speaker. It would be speaker, okay. So what do you, what are people's reactions? Cause what Greg does is, is amazing and we need more of it. And some people would think that one second work and happy in the same sentence, laughing at work. What are people's responses? What's their reactions when you put those two words together and say like what you do? 
you know, most of the time it's like, we need more of it. Right. I mean, especially now after the pandemic or going through the pandemic, but we spend at least a third of our time at the office or jobs. Now our home offices, some people react as like, oh, I don't know if I can tell jokes at work, but there's a big difference between telling a joke, cracking a punchline and being happy and being fulfilled at your job. And that's my job to educate people on that. But, you know, everybody I talk to, they're like, you know what? I love to laugh. I wish we did more of it at work. So a lot of people are thinking the same thing. They're just having a hard time actualizing it. Yeah. HR going to come down on me for laughing too much or for telling jokes or for forwarding emails. And obviously it's a work environment. It's not a, a friend environment. So we do have to be careful, but there's so much that we can do, you know, whether it's being grateful to one another, you know, a pat on the back or a silly, funny far side cartoon that makes people laugh and, and gives them that mental break. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. It's undervalued probably just what kind of impact that has. And I know everyone's just listening. They can see, I hope you look up Greg and find videos because just uh, talking to him and seeing him, he has this engaging aura and energy that it's infectious. So more people. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's a, a thin John Goodman or a, a heavier Prince Harry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, now that you mention it, I like, has, has anyone asked you about Drew Carey? Yeah, I get Drew Carey a lot. Right. A funnier Drew Carey, obviously. Sure. I, I could be Drew Carey. I don't know if I want to do the prices right, but. <laughs> <laughs> so you've worn a lot of hats. You know, you've worked in the capacity of sales and, and management and working with uh, professional sports teams. What sort of led you down this path where you were you really focused on the mental health aspect of things and sort of merged the two? Yeah, well, the, the cliff notes, I, I grew up a huge sports fan, uh, grew up in Canada. So my team was, I followed Wayne Gretzky since his rookie year. So I was a big Edmonton Oilers fan. Always wanted to play hockey. I had the heart, but I didn't have the talent or the desire. <laughs> so when I got out of college, I, I graduated. And I started uh, working for Nike. I helped them open in Seattle, Nike town. And then the shininess wore off pretty quick. So I went to a, a you know, career counselor and he did the Myers-Briggs and whatnot. And it got to the point where he's like, well, you should be, uh, you love people and you love the adrenaline rush. You should do sales. And I said, I, I don't want to be a sales guy or a cop. And I've always been allergic to bullets or a fire person. And my dad was a doctor and I'd gone to several calls when he went to the ER and that was not it for me either. And uh, so I thought long and hard about it. And then I had a friend who was in sales and he said, you know what? Not everybody is that typical used car sales guy. And uh, so I went back to the counselor. I said, well, you know, I, I really like people and, and I like a challenge. And he said, well, you, you mentioned you play hockey. Why don't you, why don't you go play hockey? And by now I'm 21 years old and <laughs> I never played junior hockey. So it's, that was not an option. And then he said, well, why don't you sell hockey. We have a local hockey team here in Seattle. Why don't you call them up and see if you can be a sales guy? And so I did. And I wasn't as honest as I should have been because I told them I was in sales for quite some time and they hired me. And by the end of the first year, I was almost number one sales guy. I came in number two, but I really enjoyed it because there I was talking to people about my passion and it was pretty easy to sell hockey tickets for me. So I did really well there. And then I had an opportunity a couple of sales reps from the Vancouver Canucks out of the NHL came down to Seattle because they were trying to sell weekend ticket packages. 
because Seattle's about an hour and a half drive down the road. And uh, so I started talking to them. And a couple of years later, they said, well, we have a couple openings coming up. Let me talk to my manager. And I said, sure. So I took a day off, drove up to Vancouver, interviewed. And they said, yeah, we have, we're hiring three temporary people. We're going to hire people for six weeks. And it, you know, it was the beginning of their season. And so they're trying to sell season ticket rush and whatnot. And they said, whoever uh, sells the most tickets and has the best fit with our team, our sales team, after six weeks gets a job permanently. So I went back and, you know, I kind of knew what the salary was going to be in my earning potential. So I went back and I talked to my current manager and said, hey, I have an opportunity to move up to Vancouver. It's, it's more money and I'm from Canada, but I'm happy here. Is there, you know, a way we can make it work financially? And he said, no, we don't have any more money. I said, okay, well, I'm taking this job. And within three days of getting the offer, I picked up and moved from Seattle and went up to Vancouver. So I did that for five years. Got to the point where we sold out every game. So we took the season ticket base. And I know you're from Chicago and Chicago Stadium is quite a bit bigger, but we went from 7,000 to 14,000. And so the outside sales were no longer needed. So at that point, they just kept the inside sales team because there was nothing really more to sell. And I went over and worked with the Vancouver Whitecaps, who are now in the Major League of Soccer, and became the sales manager for them. Did that for three years. And after three years, the VP of sales was replaced and he brought in his whole new staff. And so I was like, go. And I was really bummed because I really, really like sports. I love being with people and going into the stands or into the barbecue pit and watching games with people and all that kind of stuff. So from there, I continued my sales career with a couple of software companies and a flooring company. And then I uh, had an opportunity. We were in Vegas. Uh, it was our, our company's uh, annual sales kickoff for a week at the Bellagio Hotel. And every year they had the awards banquet, which was the biggest event for the company for the year. And so there's 4,000 of us in the grand ballroom at the Bellagio Hotel. And every year they'd hire some famous comedian or MC. Here I was there, the guy got up, he faltered right out of the gate. And after the first presenter was leaving the stage, he said something absolutely horrible about a sexual orientation. These two guys got into a fight on the stage seven minutes into a three hour program. And that's when the music stopped, the lights came on, the band started playing, and the room went very awkwardly quiet. And at that time, I'd been doing stand-up at open mics for about six months. I thought to myself, I said, man, it would be fun to play in Vegas, but I would not want to follow that. Nobody could follow that. Well, about five minutes later, a voice over the PA system said, ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry for what happened. We're going to be restarting the program in 15 minutes. And if anyone knows where Greg Kettner is, we need to talk to him. And that's when I froze. <laughs> I was on a table at the very back of the room. I didn't know anybody at the table. So I, I didn't say anything. I was like, I'm, I'm not doing this. And my first thought was, who was I talking to last night? And, and how much had I had to drink? Because I, I thought I was getting fired. or I thought I was in trouble for whatever reason. So I went backstage and said, hey, I'm Greg. And they said, well, you just saw what happened. I'm like, yeah, it would suck to follow that guy. But they said, that's what we need you to do. We need you to go up, do 15 minutes of stand-up comedy. We heard you do it. And I don't know who told them about me, but apparently somebody had seen me do an open mic and thought I was hilarious. So I kind of grabbed my wits about me and thought, you know what? I'm in Vegas. I'm never going to have this opportunity again my whole life. I'll go up. I'll give it a shot and see what happens. So they're winding me up with a microphone and I can't remember my jokes. I can't remember my name. And then uh, Steve Lucas walked out to introduce me. And again, he said, ladies and gentlemen, so sorry for what happened. But fortunately for us, one of our own is a very, 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 very funny stand-up comedian. And I'm just now burying my head. I'm like, no, you don't have to say very, very eight times. 
So he introduced me and I stumbled through the curtains with confidence, found my spot in the middle of stage. And I said, hello, my name is Greg Kettner and I can't do any worse than that guy. Standing ovation, right? I hadn't done, I hadn't said anything that was funny, but it broke that tension that was in the room. I did my 15 minutes and just before I left, I had this thought because I was in sales. I had an audience, a captive audience. I might as well ask for the sale. And that year I hadn't hit my number for President's Club, which was a $10,000 cruise through Turkey, Italy, and Greece, all expenses paid. And I was nowhere near getting on President's Club that year. I said, I'm sorry I didn't make President's Club, but I'm kind of helping out the company tonight. Is there a way I can get on the boat? And this gentleman from the front row stood up, came up to the stage, shook my hand. He said, kid, you're on the boat. I'm like, this guy says I'm on the boat. Who are you? He's like, I'm the president of SAP. So again, another round of applause. And I don't remember much after that. I mean, people were lining up just because, and I was, I don't think I was necessarily funny that night, but it was just the act that I got up out of my chair halfway through dinner and walked up on stage in front of 4,000 people. And before that, I had only been at open mics for 20 people. So that gave me the bug. And I did six years of stand-up comedy because that's how long it took me to figure out that I liked money more than stand-up. While I was on that journey, that six-year journey, I reconnected with a friend of mine from college. After a show, we started dating. And then six years later, I moved down to the States and we got married. When I did that, I became a a brand new dad to a a 12-year-old stepdaughter. And a year after, getting to the point how I got into the mental health realm, a year after we were married, I had the opportunity to go see Brian Regan and take the girls to go see Brian Regan. And he's been our favorite comedian. We listened to him. Rachel remembers all his lines and all that kind of thing. And I had a couple of connections through through the stand-up world. So I was able to get backstage into the green room to, to visit. And I wanted to surprise Rachel. So we got there early and I'm like, hey, I want to show you the locker room and stuff. And she's walking down there and it's like, oh, Greg, it smells horrible down here and whatnot. I said, well, just just go knock on that door. See what's in that door. So she knocked on the door. The door opened up and Brian Regan was like, hey, Rachel, how are you? <laughs> and she was just dumbfounded. She had she couldn't believe it. So we got pictures and, and, and talked for about five or 10 minutes. Then we went and saw the show in the front row. And so it was just a wonderful night. We laughed the whole night all on the ride home. We're all talking about it. And then less than 48 hours later, we got news that her dad had taken his own life. And that was just devastating. I remember Becky and I sitting on the couch at 2 a.m. till Rachel woke up at 6.30, Googling and trying to figure out how do you tell a 13-year-old that her dad's gone and, and how it happened. So, you know, she came down and, and, and Becky courageously told her what had happened and she was in shock and there were tears and everything. But laughter has always kind of held our family together in situations like that, even after, right? We'd be having dinner and, you know, one of us would break down, one of the girls. I'm like, hey, let's sit on the couch and watch Brian Regan. And it would, it would change our mindset. And you know this as well as anybody. When we laugh, there's the endorphins, the dopamine kicks in. And so after that, I didn't think it would bother me as much because I was, you know, the stepdad and whatnot. But I saw the effect on Rachel and on my wife, Becky. And so I, I reached out to a couple of people here in town that I knew, and uh, they said, well, you should come join our support group. It's, you know, for people who uh, have had loved ones or friends pass by suicide. And so I did that and learned a lot, right? When before this, you know, I would use the term committed suicide. Now I know that's not right. You know, took their life or they passed by suicide. But I, I really learned a lot. I've taken some classes on how to spot the signs, that kind of thing. As we were talking within this group, there's a couple of other guys and we found out 
that one of the higher rates of suicide in our county and probably across the board is 25 to 45 in the trades industry. And so we, we decided to form a group called Men in the Middle. And it's basically just a bunch of dudes hanging out and building relationships, right? Because you know as well as I that guys don't, we talk about sports, but we're not touchy-feely most of the time, right? And so whether it's, you know, we go out to the driving range and hit balls or we go to the pub for some beers or we help, an, you know, an elderly person move, we're, we're building these friendships so that when crisis does come, you know, whether it's marriage or you lose your job or you lose a kid or whatever, we can reach out to our buddies and say, hey, I need help. Talk to me or can you point me in the right direction? So that's been really instrumental in my journey. And then I was still working full time here in town, lost my job during COVID because I was non-essential, apparently. I thought, you know what? I, I love to sell. I love to get in front of people. I, I really miss the stage. And somebody said, well, why don't, why don't you be a speaker? And so I doubled down. And for the last 16 months, I've been working my tail off to learn how to become a professional speaker and a coach. I just recently started a podcast called The Work Happy Nation. And um, that's what I do. I, I love my why. I read Simon Sinek's book, uh, Why. And, and my why is making other people happy. And so now every day, I get to talk to people like you and, and others on how we can change our mindset to be happy. And it's not going to be happy every day. We all have our days, right? But that's kind of how I got into the, the speaking world. And I really, really want to help people understand more about mental health and how to talk about it at work. Because we can save lives. I'm not a professional, but I know how to talk to people. I know how to connect. And I know how to say, hey, let me find someone that can help you out. Like yourself, right? You've gone to school for it. You have the degrees. Whereas I'm just like, I'm, I'm here to listen. But, you know, there are professionals out there that can help you. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And you turned something that was certainly challenging and, and tragic. And you also gave it a lot of meaning. And you turned it into purpose. I will say that, you know, I may have a degree in training and all that good stuff and letters after my name, blah, blah, blah. But everybody plays a really integral role on, on helping someone. So whether it's the group of guys that you're with and it's a support system or whether it's that person who, even if it's a one-off thing at work and does this presentation and sort of plants the seed in their, in their mind about reaching out and talking about this or one chink in the armor of the stigma of talking about something. So I don't want, you know, people listening to think like, well, you have to have a degree in order to be helpful. And it's like, well, it's not, it's not my profession. So everybody can play a really, really instrumental role on this. A couple of like anecdotes before we get into the actual, the work happy and, and laughing just as you're talking. So people can tell because like, I try to keep my mouth shut when someone else is talking is like I'm trying to hold and laughing at different things that you're saying. Cause I don't want to interrupt the, the recording. But first of all, all the way back to the beginning, you said um, not playing junior hockey and maybe yeah. being short statured. And like, I, there hasn't been a Rudy film for hockey, as far as I know. And so, I mean, we could still do it, Greg. I mean, you can still go back and you can still make it back all the way from, you know, when you want to play hockey as a kid and that Rudy in, in Notre Dame and, and just like, you have the heart, you have the desire. It's not too late. Just want to put that out there. Right. You know any agents? You probably know more agents than me. I mean, and it's so funny. You're talking about going to a career counselor. Not that this is going to make you feel any better. I remember I went to one when I was younger. And I think my top two were either 
a flight attendant or forest ranger. Okay. And I guess a close third was clinical social worker. I don't know. <laughs> I imagine like you could do like a bit. I imagine what everyone would turn out like if they actually just follow the letter of these assessment tools and just like, yeah. okay, well, it says I have to be a neuroscientist. So I guess I have to be a neuroscientist and that's it, <laughs> you know? And I share, we've spoken before and I share the enjoyment of Brian Regan I'm not making this up. Literally just this morning, there was an instructor at the gym and he's like, great workout. And I was about to say, you too. I'm almost positive that's his bit where you automatically say you too. You know, so you drop someone off at the airport and, and you say, have a safe flight. And then they say, you too. I mean, like the next time you fly somewhere and I'm almost positive that's his bit. I love his stuff. You also mentioned the shininess wore off and let's use that as a segue into talking about work. Sure. Because like you said, you alluded to this, that work hopefully is a professional environment. And so on one hand, you don't want to turn it into this completely disorganized frat house type of environment, but also to have a super uptight environment is also not conducive. And so how do you balance that? Because I'm sure that some people would react to is like, you know, cracking jokes, laughing. This is serious business. This is a business we're trying to run. How could you introduce that into our, our work environment? So how would you tackle that? Well, I think everybody's sense of humor is different, right? But if we can lead by example, you know, maybe it's sending a far side cartoon around the office on Fridays to get everybody to laugh. Maybe it's, you have a, a talent show, right? If you get out in front of your peers on a Tuesday night and you do a talent show, there is going to be laughter. And when we laugh, it bonds us. And even leaders who use uh, humor and laughter, they bond more with their employees because the employee feels like, oh, okay, at least on this level, on the laughter, we're the same. And the rule of thumb that I, I always tell people is if you're telling a joke with your 90-year-old grandmother standing beside you that has perfect hearing <laughs> or your eight-year-old daughter, would you tell that joke? And if it passes that, then you're good to go. That's a good way of putting that. I like that. Do you subscribe to the, I'm going to paraphrase this, if you find your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. Is that, you know, you talk about shininess and shininess wearing off. And once you're behind the curtain, you're behind the doors and you see the day to day and there's all this other stuff that is, is, is a part of work. I'm not one to dismiss, you know, passion. That wouldn't, yeah. be, that wouldn't be good for business. <laughs> but is there a ceiling to that? Like, could you just take any job and turn that into something that you enjoy? Or if you have passion, does that mean any job that you have with that passion is going to be just great? Or is that a little bit too idealistic? I think it's a little too idealistic. I mean, I had a passion to be a hockey player, but I didn't have talent. So I, I think there's a combination of, of finding something that you're passionate about. And fortunately for me, passion is, is making other people laugh, right? So I tried the stand-up comedy route and, and I was good at it. I got to the point where I shared the stage with Robin Williams and Norm MacDonald and Gilbert Gottfried. I think that just because we're passionate about something, the phrase, you'll never work a day in your life, we all have to go to work, right? You love what you do. I love what I do. But there's some days you wake up and like, ooh, this is a grind. I'm not feeling it or whatnot. But I've always thought of it is when we're doing the job that we love, work can always be a grind. But now that I'm doing what I love and working for myself and helping other people be happy, it's my grind. That's great. 
Maybe, maybe this is a little bit of an unfair question. I, I know I have my own thoughts about it, but I'm more curious about yours. If, if someone asked you and said, listen, Greg, I have this mundane job, like office space. I have this red stapler here. That's all I do is look at this red stapler and it's just not stimulating. Do you think it's possible, assuming that a person has the requisite skill set, not talking about if you're four foot five and you're playing center in the NBA. If you have the requisite skills, do you think that you could figure out a way to make any job more palatable or enjoyable? Or if someone said, listen, this is just a dead end, boring, mundane job. There's different personalities, right? Like for me, I'm outgoing and not that detail oriented. So I would be a horrible banker or an accountant. So, it, you know, if you have those personalities. Well, it depends which way you move the decimal points. It might be great to be my banker if you were. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fair enough. I, I think there is a time, but I also think there's a time to change. If, if you're that miserable and you don't find joy it, we spend over a third of our lives at work. But a lot of people with the, the way their finances are, if they have family, like, you know what, I just got to do this. But there's, I know some people that, you know, they're, they're carpenters and they could give two hoots about being a carpenter, but it allows them to have a lifestyle where they can go out on the weekends, go to the boat and do what they want with their family. So they're, maybe their passion is not their job, but their job is getting them the affordability to do their passion. I love that answer. You're not stumped. You're far from stumped. <laughs> yeah, I know I put you, whoever's listening, I, we did not prepare not one iota before. Talk about not being detail oriented. We didn't prepare. This is this is off the cuff. That's a great answer, and I tend to agree. It could take some work, but trying to find what we actually value, and then within the different parts of our life, work being a huge one, is to try to identify where my values live within that. So great example with the carpenter, I may value being on the water and sailing. And this is a conduit for that. So then all of a sudden it creates by proxy the value to my carpenter job, even though I don't enjoy carpentry, it allows me to go boating. So that's great. If we can, if we could, and, and it's there, obviously there's exceptions in different jobs, it's there. It's just, we might have to look for it and identify what the underneath it all, what are things that we value it might just be creativity. And so if I value creativity and I'm a carpenter, so maybe if I had the choice, it wouldn't be carpentry, but if I can tap into that value of creativity, creation, yeah. and it might create a little bit more meaning in the job. So I, I, I completely, completely agree with you. Yeah. On the other side of the coin as well, too, I've talked to people, professional sports players, that that's what they did because that's what they were good at. They didn't necessarily want to be hockey players, but it's afforded them lifestyle. And then you see them afterwards, and once they retire, they start a nonprofit organization, or they become a, a blogger and a world traveler, that kind of thing. So I, th- I think it's both. But your point to being that we can kind of enjoy work well enough. But I also think, too, in this day and age, people are just too scared to try something new. And uh, I wish I would have known this earlier, but I, I switched careers from, I was in sales for 27 years. And I guess I'm still selling myself now as a speaker and a coach, but I wish I would have done this and followed my heart 20 years ago. And so I also share that with people, right? 
yeah, maybe, maybe you'll have to tighten your belt, your financial belt for a couple of years if you want to go back to school. And, but if you can figure out what you enjoy to afford the lifestyle that you want and the things that you want to do, go for it. What do you think would have needed to be said 27 years ago that would have convinced you? That's a great question. Probably, I mean, because when I went to the counselor back then, I mean, he did the Myers-Briggs, right? And so I'm going into this guy's office. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. And after two or three sessions, he still didn't know me. And at 21, I didn't know who I was either, right? But, you know, like these Montessori schools where kids go and maybe they gravitate more towards the arts or more towards science or more towards philosophy, whatever, right? And then they double down and and help those kids cultivate that area. I I don't know what would have been the right thing to ask, but I do know now that this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Because when you get off stage or when you're on stage and you see an aha moment or you have someone come up to you after a, a training session, like that's exactly what I need to hear. I've been thinking about this for five years and you've you finally convinced me that it's time to start and, and make a change. And there's not a better feeling than that. There's no more gratifying feeling than that. So if you had to, speaking of sales, I imagine there's dozens and dozens of CEOs listening to this podcast, of course, and executives and supervisors and big corporations. And you bump to them into the elevator and they ask what you do and you tell them what you do, or you're at the blackjack table and they start chatting with you and they say, Hey, Greg, come on, let's be real. I have this company. It's successful. We're producing. We're in the green. Why in the world would I want or need what you do? Why would I want work happy? I don't mean the, your specific business, although I would recommend that, but why do I need someone like you? What's the difference if they're happy? They're not, we're producing, we're producing. We need to laugh more. Like what, what, come on, Greg, why do I need you? Well, studies show that 68%, and this was 2019, so even before the pandemic, but 68% of us are passively looking for another job. We're not actively going out there, but we'll read the classifieds indeed. And a lot of it is just because people aren't happy at work. Their boss doesn't thank them. They don't feel valued. And people will take a job where they feel more valued and take less money. I mean, corporations are great. I mean, you think of even Amazon, right? All the millions of dollars that they're making. But a lot of the workers aren't happy because they're not making those millions, right? They want more than that. And if if we're happy and we have that mindset, Studies and research prove over and over that when we're happy, we're more productive, which means more revenue for the company. When we're happy, we're not looking for another job. It lowers turnover, which costs employers up to 200% of that person's salary to replace them. And then six months later, you hope that they're the right fit. So what that means, when I hear you saying this, so what that means, even if I own a business, if I, own a, if I run a corporation, and let's say I couldn't give two hoots about mental health, Let's say I am the tin man and I just, I'm cold as ice and I don't care about that. Let's just say, for those who are wondering, I am not, but if I was, then even so, if all you care about is the bottom line, the absolute bottom line, dollars and cents, efficiency, gaining the most possible profit out of your business, your company then tending to the happiness of your employees, tending to the quality of life, the mental health part of their lives will translate into dollars and cents. Exactly like you're saying, less turnover, they'll be more efficient because they'll want to work. Doesn't mean every, they're not gonna love work every day, but 
they're going to be more efficient. You're, they're going to be more productive. So that's a, I think that's a really important point. Even if someone is not passionate about mental health, this works in your favor. It is just a win-win. There is nothing else about it. No, absolutely. A recent study, well, not too recent, but they did uh, research two or three years ago on productivity. And so they had two test groups and each test group was put in a room and they were working on the exact same puzzle for 20 minutes. And then one test group left the room and watched a documentary. The other test group left the room and watched Robin Williams live for 20 minutes. And then they came back, worked on the same puzzle for another 20 minutes and the people who watched Robin Williams live were 19% more productive because they were laughing, right? And you know the brain more than I do. When we have that mindset change and the endorphins kick in, yeah. And like you said, bottom line, even if you think it's hoodoo voodoo or whatever, it works. There's uh, another example, a company up in Calgary, Alberta, insurance company, where they decided they wanted to bring more fun into the to the workforce. And so they had one person become the chief staff of laughter. And that person was, they took people to comedy clubs, you know, for team outing. They did a picnic. They did a, like a America's Got Talent within the company. And they really didn't change anything. And they found that their sales increased and their turnover was reduced within a year just by bringing people along. And whether it was a family picnic or a company picnic where you could bring the family or sending a funny email or a cartoon around the office, that's obviously HR approved and, and whatnot. There, there's a science behind it. It's just not, hey, you're going to laugh and you're going to make more money or, or you'll be better. It, it's actually based on science. You hear that, Mr. CEO? You hear that? Whoever's no. listening? It's true. <laughs> it, pays, it, really, it really pays dividends. Maybe someone out there knows the research, you know. Because God, if someone must have research, I wonder what the, the algorithm is. Where the tipping point? Because he's mentioned how people would be willing to sacrifice money. And let's be real, we live in a materialistic society and it costs money to live. I wonder where the tipping point is, how much you're willing to sacrifice, how much for quality of life, or how much people are willing to, to I hate to use the word, like sell out for, for a certain amount of money. I sort of wonder where that tipping point is. I, I bet Google knows. <laughs> I bet you Google knows a heck of a lot more than that about you and I. And <laughs> I think my phone knows me better than I do. <laughs> so what do you think are some of the obstacles for corporations? Well, no, let's not pick on corporations. Let's just, you know, just in the workplace. What are some of the obstacles to making this more, more commonplace? I think one of the biggest ones, just like, really? I'm going to pay people and they're going to laugh and have fun at work and be jovial. That's a big one. But you know, the other thing that I talk about, and you do a wonderful job in helping people with the mental issues that they have in their life is creating a safe space within an organization. Because even though you have, you know, an employee assistance program, if I'm on the sales team and I'm number one in sales, but I'm struggling with depression, do I want to go and tell my manager like, Hey, I need time off. I've got mental health issues. Right. And if that manager isn't on board or knows much about mental health or hasn't heard stories, that's an awkward conversation. And that person's not going to want to talk to his manager or vice versa. The guy doesn't want or the gal doesn't want to talk to the manager, but they don't know where their manager is. Maybe their manager is suffering from something or maybe their manager has lost someone to suicide. Right. But if you have somebody from the outside like myself come in, share the story, have a candid conversation 
And later on, people are more apt to talking about it. Because I remember the first time after this happened three years ago, I would never bring up suicide in a conversation. It's like scary and weird. It's not that scary and, and weird. It's life, right? And I don't know if it was you when we were talking before, but you know, someone has uh, diabetes, you go to the doctor, you take medication if you need it. But first you try exercise and eating better, right? We need to get mental health talked about like that. When somebody's like, oh, I've got anxiety. I can't come into work today. We need to rally around like we do when somebody gets cancer. Oh, we have cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry. What can we do? Can we bring food? Can we, you know, help you out with your, your job? Whatever it is, right? And mental health is such an epidemic at this point. And I think it's going to be exasperated by COVID. We don't know. I know that relapses and drugs and alcohol are up. Suicide rates are up, you know, being isolated for the last 18 months. But I think the farther we go, the numbers will tell that it's had a toll on everybody. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I know we, I know we only have a couple minutes. I only have a couple more points here and I, I can already see it. I can tell you being someone who's in the field, like the need for the mental health is like just exploding. It's a tsunami. Yeah. COVID was not kind. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rag on Canada as uh, many Americans would, but I know that in a lot of parts, a lot of provinces in, in Canada, there's still a, a tremendous amount of limited mobility and isolation and i i can't even imagine what's gonna what's gonna happen with that continued isolation with people and you mentioned i like what you said that you said that it's life it's neither one or the other it's life Uh, i say something similar to people is when we talk about different things i stay away from the words like something is good or bad there's very little that's inherently good or bad in in my life it's i i tend to use the words it's it's either helpful or unhelpful for me because once we sort of label good or bad, I mean, things could be, you know, could be a mixture of both. I, I really just have like two more quick questions and I know we have to go, is when we talk about laughter, do you see it more as like, it's a great coping tool? Is it an avoidance as an escape? Is it, could it be both? I think it could be both. I encourage people that I work with to, to schedule laughter into your day, right? When, if you sit down at the beginning of the day, or if you're just dealing with an, an ugly situation with a client or a coworker, Pull up a, a skit from Ryan Regan and have a laugh. And it relaxes your brain. It's like going around the, the block for a walk and, and getting a breath of fresh air. Right. So which actually segues right into my my final question before we wrap is that if there is someone listening right now who is sitting in a cubicle somewhere with a red stapler and is like, this guy is like really speaking to me, but like, I, have, I don't know which way to turn, where to go. I feel like I'm just stuck in this cubicle forever what would be something that you would say to them that might uplift them or put them in the right direction? I I would say you're not alone. I've been there, done that. And you know, there's still days, you know, I've I've been stuck inside my home office. I'm very much an extrovert, but I would pull up YouTube and, and find some comedy, laugh, reach out to a friend and just say, Hey, you know what? I'm struggling. I don't know what it is, but I I need someone to talk to. And, And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, People who are listening to this podcast might not know me. You can reach out to me. I'm, I'm happy to have conversations. And I've had hundreds of these conversations with people I really don't know. But for whatever reason, people feel comfortable talking to me and, and having a good laugh. And, and it'll make your day better. Well, thank you for that. And that's really how we connected. It was very random. Yeah. came across, reached out, we talked, and then this happened. So I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing and joining. And how could people connect to you? How could people find you? 
Probably the best way I'm is just my name, Greg Kettner, on all social media, or my email address is greg at gregkettner.com. And that's G-R-E-G at G-R-E-G-K-E-T-T-N-E-R.com. Amazing. You won't regret reaching out. Good, Greg. Till next time. Thank you so much. Thank you.